I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we delve into the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Mr. Aaron Bean today. He has been on the show several times before. A dear friend of mine that goes back to the college days at Central Washington University. Um, Aaron, welcome, my friend. Uh, How are you? And why don't you tell people who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me back. I think this is the third because we did Dumb and Dumber and then White Christmas. So, yeah, and we did the Fountain too. <laughs> I'm, we're never I'm, gonna do the Fountain. <laughs> I'm I'm not even gonna respond to that because I'm I'm upset already. But uh, yeah, so this third one, three very different movies, and uh, glad that you're having me back. Uh, film enthusiast like you are, you know, we I think I don't know about you, but I know I, I really started to get into film when I took some classes in college about film and how to understand and appreciate them more. And it's really helped me to, to, you know, when I watch films, try to think about other things, you know, like cinematography, blocking, shot selection, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, just love movies and how they're made. Cool. Good to hear. Well, yeah, um, we are going to be discussing Creed 2 from 2018. We skipped the first Creed. Uh, It's one of my favorite movies of all time, but we just decided to jump into the second one because the third Creed recently came out uh, on March 7th, I believe. Or no, I apologize. March 3rd. So um, I have seen Creed 3. I will not be discussing that. But Creed 2, this is a spoiler filled episode. We're going to talk about that. It was directed by Stephen Capel Jr., uh, who is directing the upcoming Transformers Rise of the Beast. He also has a lot of other short films, but this was one of his bigger first uh, endeavors. So good for him. It was written by Jewel Taylor, Sylvester Stallone and Sasha Penn. Stars Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Sylvester Stallone, Felicia Rashad, Dolph Lundgren, Florian Montanu, Russell Hornsby, and Wood Harris. All you Avon Barksdale fans, that's who that is. Yeah. Uh, critical reception, 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, with an 83% uh, critics score on the Tomato Meter for Rotten Tomatoes, and an 80% audience score. So this movie did very well. So a B- and a solid B for uh, the rankings that's pretty good for a sequel it is available on hbo max but i own it so i watched it that way uh aaron how did you watch it uh we uh saw on amazon prime i think uh the first and the second one are both on prime and uh i have a membership so i just watched it on that oh free sweet kind of free i did not know that i thought it was only on hbo max but i stand corrected okay so the movie had a budget of 50 million dollars And in the U.S. and Canada, it grossed $115.7 million, so quite successful. Opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada was on November 25th, 2018, and it made 35. let's just say $6 million. Pretty good, pretty solid opening weekend, but not as crazy as you'd think. 
Gross worldwide, it made $214.2 million. So a decently successful follow-up to the first film. All right, here's some fun facts about Creed 2. Dolph Lundgren collaborated with director Stephen Capel Jr. to change his physique and age the character of Drago to visually translate the poverty and suffering endured as he colored his in his teeth yellow. I did not notice this, but he did look pretty uh, aged in this film. Dolph Lundgren still looks great for being, like I think, close to 70. Yeah, that's one thing I thought was kind of weird. It's like these two guys were supposed to be roughly the same age, you know, when they first fought. And then now Stallone is like decrepit and old and Dolph Lundgren looks like he could still step in the ring. Like he looks insane. Well, I think that I don't think that they were supposed to be the same age in Rocky Four. I think Lundgren, I think Drago was younger than Stallone because Stallone was still kind of like at the end getting towards because he had already fought so many fights and especially after Rocky three after Clubber Lang that kind of like got him towards the end because he retires in four so he comes out of retirement to fight him so uh, I don't know I think he was supposed to be a little bit younger but regardless they both have aged very well uh, Stallone is supposed to look old in this because it is what it is but like in reality he actually looks pretty damn good for his age oh yeah it's all the roids Yes, seriously. You see his forearms in that one shot with like a bulging vein. Like no old man looks like that. Stallone. Yeah, well, him. Originally director of Creed, the original, the 2015 film, Ryan Coogler didn't vision on doing a Creed trilogy. However, due to being busy with directing Black Panther, it's unknown to what were his original plans for the sequels. And that's a bummer. Mm, Yeah. Sylvester Stallone suffered to play Rocky, even ending up in the hospital after being demolished by Dolph Lundgren on the set of Rocky IV. For Creed II, Michael B. Jordan also gave of his person, I don't know what that means, <laughs> grazing the knockout multiple times despite his intensive training in muscle gain. Note that the young actor had been put on the mat on the set of the first Creed after a devastating punch of his opponent. Yeah, so Michael B. Jordan got knocked out in the first Creed, which is Good for cool. him, does his own stunts, yeah. Uh-huh. For Stallone, taking a knockout on the set of a film from the Rocky saga is almost a ritual. So Rocky is, uh, or Stallone is used to it. Dig Maybe it. that's why he talks like this, you know, he just took too many hits. Nah, he's punchy. That was a terrible Stallone. <laughs> uh, it was you know, not too bad for my first time. Um, one hour, 55 minutes into the film during the final fight after Drago's mother leaves the arena, future Ukraine president Vladimir Zelensky can be seen standing in the row behind the empty seats. That hmm. is so interesting. Yeah, I didn't even notice. Well, he was like a reality TV star, I believe. Uh, yeah, and a comedian. President. Yeah, and a comedian. So and now he's fucking big dick energy, man. I love him. So. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the synopsis. It's spoiler filled for anybody who has not seen Creed 2. So if you don't want to listen to it, go ahead and skip forward about five minutes. In 2017, two years after his loss to Pretty Ricky Conlon, Adonis Donnie Creed, alongside his trainer Rocky Balboa, has won six straight bouts, culminating in a victory over Danny Stuntman Wheeler to win the WBC World Heavyweight Championship and reclaiming his 1967 Ford Mustang that he lost to Wheeler in a bet. Now a worldwide star, Donnie proposes marriage to his girlfriend, Bianca Taylor, who agrees. Bianca suggests starting a new life together in Los Angeles, but Donnie is reluctant to leave Philadelphia and thus Rocky. In Ukraine, Ivan Drago, the former Soviet boxer who killed Donnie's father, Apollo Creed, during a bout in 1985, has been living destitute since losing to Rocky that year and seeks to regain glory. Assisted by promoter Buddy Marcel, Ivan pits his son, Victor, against uh, Donnie when uh, when Rocky refuses to support Donnie's acceptance of Victor's challenge, Donnie leaves for Los Angeles. Donnie and Bianca settle in a luxurious apartment in Los Angeles close to Donnie's adoptive mother and Apollo's widow, Marianne. 
As they adjust to their new life and prepare for the upcoming match, Bianca learns that she is pregnant. Donnie recruits Tony Little Duke Evers, son of his father's trainer, Tony Duke Evers, and later Rocky's trainer, to start training him. Overwhelmed by his life's new recent developments, the underprepared Donnie rushes into the match and is badly injured. Victor is disqualified for hitting Donnie while he is down, allowing Donnie to retain the heavyweight championship. Nevertheless, Victor becomes extremely popular in Russia and wins a series of fights with top billing. His body and ego shattered, Donnie becomes increasingly disconnected from Bianca. Marianne reaches out to Rocky, who reconciles with Donnie and agrees to train him for a rematch against Victor, who is suffering torturous physical tests at Ivan's hands. Ivan, Ivan. Bianca gives birth to a daughter, Amara, and Rocky is named her godfather. However, Amara is born deaf, inheriting it from her mother's progressive hearing disorder. While Victor taunts Donnie publicly, he faces constant pressure from his father behind the scenes, who enjoys the attention of the media and various Russian delegates. At a state dinner, he and Ivan encounter Ludmila, his mother and Ivan's ex-wife, for the first time in several years after she abandoned them following Ivan's loss to Rocky. Enraged at the sight of her, Victor storms out of the dinner and chastises Ivan for seeking approval from those who cast them out. Meanwhile, Rocky and Little Duke retrain Donnie in a, de- in a decrepit location in the California desert, focusing on fighting from within and training Donnie's body to absorb the heavy impact he will receive from Victor in the ring. In Moscow, the rematch is more balanced as a more controlled and focused Donnie exchanges equal blows with Victor. Victor is used to winning by knockout at his bouts, uh, as his bouts have never lasted past four rounds. Donnie uses this to his advantage and willingly endures a heavy beating from Victor, even after his ribs are broken. In the 10th round, Donnie unleashes sequences of effective blows and knocks Victor down twice. Ludmilla departs after the second knockdown, upsetting Victor, and Ivan sees the truth of his son's earlier words. As exhausted, Victor is concerned and receives multiple strikes without defending himself, but is unwilling to go down. Finally realizing that his son's safety means more to him than revenge or acceptance from Russia's elite, Ivan throws in the towel, forfeiting the fight to protect his son. He assures the distraught Victor it is okay that he lost and embraces him. As Bianca enters the ring to celebrate with Donnie, Little Duke and Creed's other trainers, Rocky recuses himself and takes a seat to watch them from outside the ring. Following the match, Victor and Ivan later train together back in Ukraine. Rocky travels to Chicago to make peace with his own estranged son, Robert Jr., and meets his grandson, Logan, for the first time. Donnie and Bianca visit Apollo's grave, where Donnie makes peace with his deceased father and the burden of carrying on his legacy as he and Bianca introduce Amara, who now has a new set of hearing aids. And that's... It's Creed 2. Fantastic movie. Absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm a big, big Rocky fan, big Creed fan. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's natural that this movie would come up at a certain point. I would think Creed 1 would come first, but I'm totally okay doing Creed 2. So let's jump into it. Uh, Aaron, you've seen the Rocky franchise, yes? Yes. I haven't seen every single one, but I've seen seen the most of them. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I know. I have seen all of them several times, uh, Rocky Five being the worst, but it is okay. It's still part of it. Uh, the franchise is interesting, though. It's it's proven very highly success, yeah, successful over the last 40 years. With nine films and counting, the series has seen varied storylines. Uh, although they're nuanced, the general plots of each film are arguably simmer, similar and predictable. So things like Rocky 1 can be compared to Creed. Uh, Rocky 3 can be compared to Creed 2. And same with a little bit of Rocky 4. So you have a lot of predictable, similar storylines. But despite all this, the films, they just seem to work. 
for me, for everyone else, there's a reason it's an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. But why hasn't the Rocky Creed formula gotten stale? Yeah, I mean, you would think so. There's there's not that many franchises that can last longer than a couple movies without getting stale or just rehashing the same old storylines. And even though, like you said, they kind of do rehash the same storylines, I think the fact that they've departed enough from the Rocky sort of world um, and pivoting to focus more on Adonis, it like brought new life into the series or gave it a really a new, a fresh perspective and made it feel more adapted for a modern audience. You know, I don't think modern audiences would have connected with, uh, with another rendition of the, uh, the Rocky franchise. You know, there's that one from 2006, Rocky Balboa, which was fine, but you know, it kind of felt like the swan song. Um, and Michael B. Jordan, he's a hot young actor. You know, he's very, his star is rising right now. The movies are very well made, you know, um, well edited, well shot, well acted. And I feel like they appeal to a wider demographic. Um, you know, like my girlfriend is not somebody who watches fighting movies. You know, that's not usually her her thing. But when we saw the trailer for Creed 3 at before a movie recently, she was like, I want to watch these movies. Like, I don't even like boxing, but I want to watch these movies. Um, you know, the, the core themes of the movie, you know, overcoming adversity, addressing conflict, growing as a person, uh, they're all the same that was back in Rocky, you know, kind of the same themes, but it's in a new package. Um, you know, like the Marvel movies, they, they haven't really gotten stale. I don't think because they've, they've done a good job of coming at things from different perspectives and different, almost different worlds within the same universe. You don't think the Marvel movies have gotten stale? Um, I think certain franchises in the in the Marvel universe have gotten stale. That's why they stopped making Iron Man movies, and that's why like the newest Thor: Love and Thunder, I think, was poorly received. Is people just kind of get saturated with it at a certain point. Um, but you know that's why they're now doing Ant Man and then more Doctor Strange movies, um, just to come at it from different perspectives. Interesting. You, so, I mean, arguably. Phase four and phase now phase five are the worst that Marvel's put out. I myself am sick and tired of Marvel. It has been completely oversaturated uh, based on how many TV shows and how many movies they're putting out a year. It's 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 just too much. And they're mm. losing what the first original 11 years had. It's it's just out of control at this point. And I mean, it's it's the same beats but mm -hmm. they're not like the Rocky franchise. I mean, that's a different thing, but it's, I mean, that's so interesting that you don't think Marvel's getting stale. I'm just, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, guess. everybody's got a different perspective. I, I think sure. they're still doing well financially. You know, they're still bringing people into the, into the theater. So, Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's Marvel. You can, you can shit in a bag and people will go watch it. <laughs> well, and you're also like a lifelong superhero and, and comic book fan. So you're somebody who's, um, got a lot at stake almost in a way, you know, some of the more casual fans who just want to go see a popcorn flick, they still like it. Yeah, but it's, I mean, Ant-Man did, it got probably the worst ratings of any Marvel film to date, uh, this, this newest one. And I mean, I think that's a direct reflection of what's, what's coming out It I think they just need to slow it down and stop putting out too many too many parts of a good thing, I guess. Yeah, but you know, Paul Rudd, he's so unlikable. Nobody wants to go see Paul Rudd. Nobody likes it. I'm just kidding. No, um, yeah, Paul Rudd's great. It's not his fault. It's just that, I mean, I haven't even seen Quantum Mania. I'll, I'll watch it when it's available to stream, but I already know what happens. And I'm just kind of like boring when I heard the plot. I just, mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't working for me. I mean, I, I never watched any of the Ant-Man movies. You know, that, that doesn't really appeal to me, but... You know, for there's an audience for everything. Oh, sure. No, and I'm not saying that anyone's wrong who doesn't like them. I just think I would think that 
you know, those would be the ones that have become stale. And and to bring it back to Rocky and Creed, I think you're absolutely right. The the difference between so Rocky one and two are Oscar worthy. I mean, Rocky one, Rocky the first movie, won best picture. It was a fantastic mm. movie. Rocky two was a very fantastic uh, sequel. But then three, four, and five, which is a fever dream, basically, <laughs> were were all just absurd and became something that they lost focus of in the first two films. Mm. Now, what Creed does is the reason why the Creed series has been so successful and has been so so good is because it humanizes these these boxers. So I wouldn't even call them the Creed movies boxing movies. They are about a boxer. They are a human study about a boxer who's mm-hmm. trying to figure out his own identity and his life and his legacy and all that kind of stuff. And and that's why I think they just they nail it home with these is yeah, you can have the the same formulas with the montages and the big fights and the cool camera usage like you were talking about the different stylizations that they they use. It gives each director an opportunity, right? Um but you those are those are ancillary to the to the part of the story that is about the human element that the reason we are the way we are and how we can can uh, embrace our you know acceptance i guess of of who we are and fighting for what's right and fighting for ourselves and so th- that's why i think that it hasn't gotten stale is mm. the first two rocky films were all about that it was the, it's the true underdog story yeah. it's a guy who is given a chance no one believes in him he knows his own worth and he busts his ass and he proves everyone wrong. But it's but it's 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 about proving to himself he can go that distance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm excited for the Creed movies to continue. I saw the third Creed. Um, I'm excited to see what they what they do with them uh, if it continues on. But, yeah, I don't know when it needs to actually stop, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, if it's not stale yet, you know, you could try to make a fourth, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you alluded to, Rocky, even though Rocky started off as a fantastic uh, piece of cinema by the third and fourth and fifth, ep- you know, version of it, it started to lose its luster. So, you know, could they do a Creed Four? Potentially, yeah, I'm sure it would make money. But does it dilute the quality of the product? Probably. Maybe. And I, I was thinking that with Creed three, but, uh, you know, I think that the direction they are going is probably uh, a Creed four. I just don't see how you can't when it makes this much money. Yeah. Um, but but there are Amazon today. News came out about Amazon obtaining the rights uh, to make a Creed universe with Michael B. Jordan. So oh, he could do some things with Drago's son. He could do some things with, I don't know, pretty Ricky Conla. He's a little too old. Um, I'm sure he can do some spinoff stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it, man, especially if it goes straight to streaming. I love streaming. I think it's nice because it's it's low commitment. You don't have to jump to the theater and spend $20 on a ticket. You can just be like, huh, OK, I enjoyed that. Well, so if they do make future films, are you afraid that it's going to go the way of Marvel and become stale? Only if they do like three a, a year or something like that. Like give me, so 2018 is when this came out and then 2023 is Creed 3. So we're, we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, five years, right? That is a good amount of time between films. It's believable to have him in Creed 3 be like, you know, I'm going to retire because five years as a boxer is a lot, mm-hmm. especially after the second one. I mean, so that gap I think is like three years. So you got eight years of boxing right there. The, there's a there's a good reason for him to retire yeah. after taking eight years of punishment. Um, yeah. So so as long as they're not 
oversaturating us with just so much goddamn, you know, like Marvel, so much stuff. It's just Mm -hmm. like, this is a show. This is a show. This is a show. And God forbid you have an opinion. I mean, like I (laughs) did not like She-Hulk at all. And I'm tired of saying, I'm tired of trying to tiptoe around it because I think people, you demand you to take a stance. Like if you liked it or you didn't like it. And Mm -hmm. if you didn't like it, you're an asshole and a misogynist. And that's not the case at all. Um, I really liked Jennifer Walters as the character. I loved the actress. Uh, I thought she was great. But and there were moments in the show that I liked. But overall, it just it sucked. It was (laughs) just it didn't do anything for me and it went nowhere. Same thing for Hawkeye. Hawkeye was stupid. Um, I mean, yeah, Moon Knight was stupid. There were just too many Mm. weird shows. Yeah. Anyways, I'll get off my high, my high horse, and my, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, and we'll move on. So you were talking about, uh, you know, different meanings and themes. And, and that's my favorite thing about film is you can sit here and tell me that you love Marvel films and I can tell you that I don't. And I'm right and you're right and I'm wrong and you're wrong. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, as long as you can defend your opinion, it's, it is important for us to to have disagreements because that's what art is. It's subjective. So mm-hmm. different meanings, they can be derived from Creed too. Um, but I feel that the central plot, when you kind of strip it all down, it revolves around legacy, the term legacy. Adonis alludes to this often as he tries to create his own name and live up to the, the legacy of Apollo Creed. He always has his father's uh, shadow that he's, he, he's fighting in, right? The same is seen with Victor. Victor Drago, his dad is Ivan Drago, who was the pride and joy of Russia. And throughout the film, he's always constantly trying to make his father and to make Russia proud. So what does legacy mean to you? And why is it an important theme in the movie Creed 2? I don't want you making the same mistakes I made. You know what I mean? So you gotta ask yourself, what's the valuable stuff? It's like I asked you before. What were you really fighting for? I was afraid. Of this. Expectations. Being a champ. I was scared I couldn't do what he couldn't. weird. I used to feel like he was a part of me. Now I can't hear him or that thing, that that thing that tells me to get in the ring, move my feet, keep my hands up, hit anything that gets in my way. Yeah, so I I agree that legacy is one of the main themes, but I also think in a way there's an opposite theme that's almost as strong, and that's the idea that you can rewrite history and that you can look backwards instead of looking forwards. Because thinking about legacy, that's projecting to the future. And there seemed to be a lot of uh, trying to rewrite the mistakes of the past in this movie. So you know, the, there was of the three, I would say main characters, let's say Adonis, Victor and Rocky, um, you know, Rocky's the only one that's really at peace with where he's at. You know, he's, he doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. He, he doesn't have any chips on his shoulder, like, like Adonis does. And that really fuels him. 
So, well, well, what about his relationship with his son, Robert, who he's too scared to call him? He's he has this sense of he's he made mistakes in his past, and and he's worried about what his son will think of that. For it's it's when you forget to talk to somebody, and then it just keeps spiraling down, and you're like, well, it's been too long. They're gonna hate yeah. me for not talking with them. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely hear you. That's, that's a fair point. I, and I, I do think that ties into that theme of trying to rewrite history and, and change the mistakes of the past. Like all the characters are trying to do that in a way, you know, like I feel like Adonis feels shame in a way that his dad was killed in the ring by Ivan. And, you know, he never really got to know his dad. He, he just grew up hearing about him. And like you said, living in his shadow and, and Victor, he and Ivan, they feel shame because they've been ostracized and expelled from Russia, their their home country, having to live in, in Ukraine and without any of the, the social clout that comes from what they thought that they deserved. And so they're trying to they're literally trying to rewrite history by having a Drago, um, you know, come back and be top of the world. And it's like they get a chance to avenge the loss that derailed their lives. And for Adonis too, he's also trying to avenge the loss that, you know, in a sense derailed his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's a fair bit of, of looking back in it, but the legacy element definitely is there because Adonis has that chip on his shoulder. And I think he has a lot of ego wrapped up in his ability to prove people wrong and to prove himself to be not just like his father, but different than his father. You know, it seems like he doesn't really want to be compared to his dad. Um, you know, he sees himself as the champ. He's the undisputed best. He's the goat. Uh, even before he had the belt, he felt that way. Like in the first movie, when he walked into the gym and challenged Donnie Wheeler, you know, he had, he had no real business doing that. And no, Donnie, he's just an angry kid. Yeah. And angry at the world. And then especially once his daughter comes into the picture, I think that's when it really becomes about legacy because he wants to be remembered by his daughter as the goat. He wants to cement his legacy as, as you know, the, the champ. And for Victor and Ivan, it's, it's a little bit more obvious or straightforward in that their legacy is of a failure, really. You know, they got beat by Rocky and then they just lived with that for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree with you. So, it's about accountability and Donnie's insecurity that he is not going to live up to to what he has. So the first movie, right, it's about him trying to create his own name and get out of the name of Apollo Creed. He he doesn't embrace the name Creed until the very end yeah. when he says, you know, after he doesn't beat uh, pretty Ricky Conlin, he but he goes toe to toe with him for 12 rounds and almost, uh, you know, knocks him out. He accepts his father. He's like, I know he didn't leave me on purpose, but he embraces that name and realizes that you can't deny your past and and just you have to try to understand why you're so angry, but be be, be at peace with it, right? And so I think in the second one, it's about the reason I use legacy is because now he has this level where he's competing. And while I do think he wants to be the greatest, I don't think he wants to be the greatest of all time because of what other people think. At first, that's what he wants. He wants to he wants to show everyone why he's so great. And so his insecurity shows throughout the second film, because as soon as he gets humbled and beaten by somebody who is far better than he is at this point in his life, he thinks he has let everyone down. And so that's what causes his his identity crisis and his reclusion, his, you know, breakdown when, when Rocky gets there into his hospital room, his lack of understanding of, of, of embracing his daughter. I mean, he has that scene where she's crying, you know, it's his first night where he actually takes care of her 
He takes her to the gym and in a cathartic manner, he starts punching the bag and then he starts really getting into it and just lets go. Like he couldn't, Mm -hmm. he couldn't take care of his daughter until he deals with his own, his own demons that he's working on. The agency that, that Donnie has and his mother says it too. She's like, don't you for a second pretend like this is about your father. He's a grown ass man. It's about him. He can, he can hide behind the veil of, of pride and and I have to make everyone happy, but that's not it. He needs to make himself happy. That's what he needs to fight for. And that's what he discovers towards the end of Creed two is he's like, I need to fight this fight for me to, for me to be the greatest, not to worry about what others think, but because I was born to fight, that's what I do. And I have to embrace that about myself. And I think it was fucking beautiful because it's just about embracing who you are and fighting for your ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but legacy, I mean, it's, it did seem at first when I first saw this, that the, the addition of Drago felt cheesy, but mm. after I, that beautiful moment when, you know, throws in the towel and just tells him it's okay. And he embraces yeah. him and is like, fuck it. You know, in, in the, in the synopsis I read, Victor, he stormed out of dinner and he chastised Ivan for seeking approval from those who cast them out. It's it's about why are you seeking approval from these people that are so quick to turn their back on you? What do we have to 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 lose right now? Or what do we have to gain from from that? Is that going to really help us? And at the end of the day, you know, Drago realizes that his son is far more important to him than mm. seeking the approval for something that he lost than, than, than a past relic. And so um yeah i mean yeah. that i thought that was honestly one of the most stunning moments of the film when mm-hmm. that white flag when he waves the towel so good um because there was so there were so many callbacks throughout the movie to the moment when rocky didn't throw in the towel and uh and then apollo died in the ring and he, and he has those regrets that he hadn't thrown in the towel the guilt and, yeah yeah and it's you know I think Ivan maybe wouldn't have done that had his ex-wife not stormed out, you know, after uh, Victor got knocked down the second time and and she left just like Victor knew she would. And I think at that moment, Ivan realized like, oh, those people don't matter. My son is all I have and all, you know, we're all that each other has had since my fight. And that's what's most important. I got to protect that. And that was a really, like you said, that was a beautiful moment. It was fantastic. I was one of my favorite uh, parts in the in the movie. Um, so I'll move on to the next question then too, because the the other theme I noticed in Creed Two, uh, one of the many, it involved the role that fathers play in our lives. Um, the first movie is historically about Adonis, this you know boy who grew up without a father, who's angry at the world, fighting for whatever with a chip on his shoulder, and he meets a father figure in the most unlikely way. In fact, a person who arguably was responsible for Apollo's death or so Mm. Adonis held him responsible for that. But it's the father figure and friend figure in Rocky Balboa that he meets and needs in his life who unleashes the, the, the inner passion and and what inner greatness that Apollo that Adonis has. And so, Mm. you know, Adonis and Apollo, they have their legacy. Ivan and Victor, they struggle with pride. Rocky and Robert, his son, they deal with reconciliation. And then Adonis and his daughter, Amara, they deal with hope. That's hope of something new. The expectations that each of these fathers had on their children weigh heavily throughout the film. At the end of the day, the children, Adonis, Victor, Robert, and Amara, just wanted to make their parents happy and proud. That's all that they do. Number two is about pride and and making everybody around you 
accepting of, of what you've accomplished. But unfortunately, the expectations placed upon them were unbelievably high. What did you think about this? And what is the film trying to say about the patriarchs in our life? So to the last question real quick, I guess I would say simply the the film is trying to say that uh, all fathers are flawed and nobody's perfect. And as long as you're trying to learn from your mistakes and be better, that that, that really is a redeeming quality. And yeah, fatherhood is definitely a very strong motif throughout the film. You know, there's the obvious of uh, of Donnie having a child. That's an obvious representation of it. But it's all the relationships kind of centered around a father-son dynamic. Um, you know, and throughout most of the film, we got a, a couple references, but not a ton about Rocky's relationship with his son, which is a Rocky relationship. But I'm dumb. Until they reunite at the end. And that's a really great moment. Um, you know, I forget the actor's name, but the guy from This Is Us. Milo Ventimiglia. That's the one. Yeah. Um, he was also so, in Rocky Balboa. He played Robert in Rocky Balboa. So that was a fun call. Back. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, which which that movie's heavily. That's about Rocky and, and Robert's relationship. So. Yeah. So that was only kind of touched on throughout the movie. But throughout the whole movie, Adonis cannot escape Apollo. It's constantly brought up. He's constantly reminded of him. There's the pictures on the wall in, in Rocky's uh, restaurant. People are just always, they're trying to protect him by saying, don't do this because Victor's going to kill you the way Ivan killed his killed your dad. So he can't really get away from it. Um, and he's afraid of repeating history. You know, he doesn't want to repeat the mistakes that his dad made, but he wants to surpass it. Um, but all the people around him, they're all concerned that he's going to suffer that same fate, that he's going to get badly injured, which he does, or die, you know, and thankfully, spoiler alert here, but spo- thankfully he does not. But that just motivates him more. People like telling him he can't do it. Like, oh, don't don't try it. You know, don't make the mistake your dad did of trying to fight this guy. And he's trying to be like, no, I'm better. But why do you think, why do you think he's so... Um adversarial when people tell him you're not going to do this. Do you think it's because he wants to be the greatest that ever was, or do you think it's, he wants to prove something to himself? I think it's a little bit of both, but honestly, that was one of the things that kind of bothered me is it's like, dude, every single person who cares about you is telling you not to do this. And the best excuse you can come up with for why you're going to do it is I just have to do it. Like, I don't know if it was articulated super well, why exactly he was motivated. So I think we had to take context into, into account. And I think that it was a a sense of pride as well as, um, you know, that trying to rewrite history and, uh, write his own legacy that he, so he's not attached so much to his father. See, I, I thought it was really clear. Um, so the scene, I mean, a couple scenes in mind when, when his mother, is talking to him and she, that what I alluded to it earlier. She's like, don't you uh, pretend this is about your father? Mm-hmm. Um, like you're a grown ass man and you can do these things because he's hiding behind the, she's, you know, she's asking him like, why are you going to fight? And he's like, I got to do it because he killed dad. It's like, you're trying to seek revenge or are you trying to redeem yourself? Like things that are, are buried inside of you. And later on towards the end of the movie in the third act, the start of the third act, when he's having the conversation with Bianca, after they have had the baby and he sits and he decides he's already made up his mind and he tells her, I have to fight him again. And she's like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Why do it again? What do you have to prove? It's not about that. You wouldn't be any good to anybody if you didn't do what you love. You wouldn't be able to breathe, right? Well, I wouldn't be any good 
to anybody if I don't handle this the right way. But I need you. I'll beat him. He explains why and he tells her like what would we be if we didn't do what we loved and I think that's that's exactly what it comes down to is he learns the power of self-worth and and understanding what he loves and understanding his passions and he's fighting for himself not for the others not for the ideas around him he is fighting for himself and his family um he I think he wants to be great, but he wants to be great for himself. He doesn't give a shit about the belts. I really do. Um, I, I think, you know, she says it exactly too. He's he's like, what would you do if you didn't have music or you didn't sing? He knows fighting and that's like that's like what he, he wants to do. Um, yeah, and he can fight, but I mean, you don't have to fight that guy. For one it, thing, they're not even in the same weight class. They were obviously like a 40-pound difference. But Aaron, haven't you ever run into something and and it's been challenging and it's kicked your ass a few times? Are you are you a person that's just going to be like, no, I'm I'm done with this. I I, I just want to leave it alone. Or is there always going to be a part of you that's going to be like, I got to figure this out. Well, this may be not a great example, but like if I'm playing a video game sure, and I like lo- lose on a boss fight ten times, or like I can't figure out how to finish a quest, I'm going to go online and I'm going to Google how to fi- how to do it. I'm going to cheat, you know, because uh, for me, yeah, like if if the the reason I thought it was kind of jarring was because. For me, the way I I think, if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, no, you're baiting me into this fight. I don't need to take that fight. You're going to kill me. You're going to literally try to kill me. And we saw with the cheap shot in the first one, like Victor was out for blood. You know, this wasn't going to be a fair fight. But don't we as humans have this kind of innate uh, need to finish things? We, we, We don't like unfinished business. I know I personally do. Like I do certain things. Like, for example, when I do certain hikes and I and I go fast or I do whatever, I don't do that because I need to be the first one up there. I do that because I want to push myself. I want to push myself to see how much I can do and to see where I can get and literally start from the bottom and get to the top. And so like that's not that's not for me to get crazy pictures on Instagram, even though I do post on Instagram. It's it's not me posing 30 different times. It's me just battling with myself and it's, it's something I have to do. So I fully related with, with what he was saying. And it like, it clicked like a light bulb for me, this, this fourth, fourth or fifth viewing that I, I watched it. Hmm. But I mean, that's just more, I'm trying to give context into kind of what is, what I think Adonis was trying to do. Yeah. Um, and then for Ivan and Victor, I have an opinion I think you're going to disagree with. Um, so they have a very interesting dynamic. You know, they've only had each other for a long time. And Victor really does not speak much in the film. No, he, doesn't he doesn't have many lines. I think maybe the the actor, he, maybe his Russian accent wasn't on point. I'm not no, 100% the, sure. It's kind of like because Ivan Drago uh, didn't have many speaking lines in the original one. He mm-hmm. had way more than Florian uh, Montanu. But um, Florian does fantastic with his nonverbal communication. His eyes yeah. are incredible. He, yeah. you, you can see everything through his eyes. The disapproval from his father, his, his, when he's scared, um, when he's confused, when it, it, he's wonderful. He does such a good job in this movie. 
Yeah, I agree. I I felt like I really understood how he was feeling based on his body language and his and his facial reactions. Exactly. Um, but we don't get to a, a real deep glimpse into how he thinks because he doesn't speak so much. Like we, it's mostly montages and other characters' narration about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually I didn't get a huge impression that Victor wanted to make his father proud. I feel like he had been kind of like shoehorned, like pushed into this life where he didn't really have a choice. Like this was going to be what he had to do no matter what, even if he didn't want to. And um, on top of that, his father is like berating him and just like verbally abusing him and and psychologically beating him down. He told told him that he was the reason that their mother left the family. Like that's a messed up thing to say to a child. And he does this in normal everyday life. And in the, in his corner between rounds. So like when we were watching it, uh, my partner fee, she was in like, after round three, she was like, I think Victor's going to quit. I think Victor's going to forfeit. Cause he's like totally not into it. You know, he, he doesn't seem like he's really bought in. It seems like his dad is just using him to, to finish what he started and do what he never could. And it didn't feel like his heart was in it. Think about in I mean, I agree. I, the, I would agree that, he wasn't fighting for his own causes, but I disagree in the sense of saying I felt everything that that Victor was doing. And Victor is fighting for his father's love. He just wants to be recognized by by Ivan. And Ivan is fighting for his own selfishness, for mm. the Uncle Rico, the if coach would have put me in fourth quarter, yeah. we would have won. I mean, this is now his chance at redemption. But how far is someone willing to go to completely redeem themselves to this falsity or to this this vapidness that is this these Russian oligarchs and these delegates? I mean, what are they really going to do for him? And you can see how easily they they chew him up and spit him out twice. Yeah. Um, And I think that I felt everything from Victor's facial expressions of these fights he's being thrown into, like even when Adonis pushes Drago at the fight, you can see Victor's kind of looking like he's confused. He's not pissed off. He's like, like, dad, what do we, what do we do? Why are we doing this? And it's Drago who's leading that charge. I mean, we think about kids all these days, you go to protests and kids are holding up signs that say, ban all these books and start burning them. These kids have no idea what these books are about. It's because their parents have instilled this idea in their mind for so many years that they basically tell them what to do. Yeah, they're just being used as pawns. And that's what that's what uh, Ivan is doing for Victor. But he's he doesn't mean it with ill intent, because I think this is I think the reason why it's such a good payoff for the ending when he hugs him and tells him it's okay, you know, and throws in the towel is the fact that Ivan stayed and raised him. Ivan Mm. could have just given him to an orphanage or done something else because of his selfish ways, but he stayed and he raised him and he trains with him, which I think is a really intimate thing. If you do think about it, yeah, it's, it's terrible what he said, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's why she left us and all that kind of stuff. That's a terrible thing to say to somebody, but, he stayed and, yeah. and and he's, he's raising his son. And at the end of the day, you know, that's why it was such a uh, wonderful juxtaposition at the end when he's jogging with him and he's actually picking up speed. And then you see Victor kind of smile. He's like, this old man thinks he's going to keep up with me. And like, right. Cause at the start he had had him running and he was in the truck behind the him, truck. Like driving behind him. And now he's running with him. It's, it shows that he's really, he's learned, you know, and he knows what's important now. And I think that, you know, it's important because in Rocky four, he says, you know, if I can change, you can change. I do believe people can change. I used to be cynical and say that people don't change. And I I think that's bullshit. Um, 
I think this is a good example, even though it's fictional, this is a good example of times when you can take a step back, realize your mistakes and make those changes. Um, and, and, you know, father figures, I think, I think with Rocky, with Creed two, I think that finding father figures, you can find them all around us. Whenever we have an absence like Adonis, you know, he found Rocky. That's, that's, that's his father figure. And it says that, you know, having a weakness doesn't make you a weak person mm-hmm. and that it's okay to prove things to yourself and, and you don't have to prove them to others. Uh, that beautiful moment when, when Adonis is, you know, they just have Amara and she fails the auditory uh, test mm. and he's just so worried that she's going to be deaf, you know, that she's going to grow up deaf. Mm-hmm. And Rocky is like, are you still going to love her? And Creed's like, what kind of question is that? How are you going to ask me that? And he goes, she's like, of course I'm going to love her. And he goes, good. Cause she ain't feeling sorry for herself and you shouldn't either. And yeah. that was when Adonis flipped that switch and realized that, he was worried about her being deaf because of the challenges that the external world would put on her. But in reality, he needs to focus on what he has and embrace the love around him and not worry about how he can please others. And so that's when he starts to flip the switch to the, I need to fight this fight for me to, to complete this because I won't be complete as a person. And that's why I thought it was so brilliant, but you were right. You're spot on about like the Drago stuff too. Um, the throwing in the towel, he realized his son's life is more important than seeking that universal approval. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's that was one. I mean, that was like one of the best parts in the film, and just brought tears to my eyes because you know Victor, you can see he's so pissed off, not at his dad, he's pissed off at himself for letting him down. And sometimes we just want someone to tell us, you know, it's okay, and give you a hug. It's like Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting, right? That that moment when yeah. it's, like, it's not your fault. Yeah. And and sometimes we think things are our fault or, you know, whatever, like me as a person growing up without a dad, it's it it was it was really tough 18 and on because I was struggling to find that father figure. And when you find these surrogates that can help you and and teach you that it's okay for these things or you don't have to prove you don't have to fight that chip on your shoulder or prove anything to anyone. um, I think that's a really powerful and impactful moment. And I think that's why this movie slaps so goddamn well. Yeah, but okay. Well, uh, great discussion so far. Moving on to number four. So the the first Creed film was directed by the wonderful and amazing Ryan Coogler, who seems to strike gold with every movie he makes. Creed is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I've uh, well, actually, it's, I guess I should say it's one of the favorite movies I've seen both in theaters and at home. So yes, all time. While Creed two didn't fare as highly as the first, it is a very admirable follow. Could Creed two have been better with Ryan Coogler directing? Yes. Um, I don't want to take anything away from what Stephen Capel did. Um, I'm not familiar with his other work. Maybe I've seen something of his, but not that I recognize. He doesn't, yeah, he, he doesn't really have much. Um, it's going to be the new Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Uh, oh, boy. Talk about out. a stale franchise. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of excited because I, I liked Beast Wars a lot uh, for Transformers and stuff. I always thought it was so cool. So we'll see. But, you know, the jury's out. Yeah. Um, so he did, I think he did a good job considering he, he's not that experienced. It was fairly tight. You know, it didn't feel like there was anything wrong with the direction, but I mean, Ryan Coogler's just on another level, you know, he did Fruitvale station. That was his big, um, you know, not his debut, but the first big film that like he did feature length debut. Yeah. And then the black Panther movies are great. You know, Creed one was great. He doesn't have a huge 
uh, list of credits yet, but he, you know, he also produces and uh, writes as well. And he's only 36, you know, yeah. it's crazy. Um, he's basically our age, but he's directed these huge blockbusters that are doing well. And, and he's a relatively new director on the scene. Um, he did, he, he did have a credit as an executive producer on this film. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he did have creative input, but yeah, I think without his hand on the wheel as, as a director, it wasn't quite as good as it could have been. Um, I'm not exactly sure what exactly would have been different, like what he would have changed, but you know, his, his movies do have a certain, like a, a swagger or a rhythm to it that stands out. You know, he's not like a Wes Anderson where you can look at a frame and say that's a Wes Anderson film, but you can, they definitely, his movies all have a, a definite uh, feel to them. Um, and yeah, it's just so crazy. He's 36 and has yeah. already done so many good movies. He just, you know, he's, he's up there with him and Chazelle and Ari Aster right now, I think are three of the younger directors who are just, what they touch is gold. Babylon was a fucking mess, but I I don't know what I think about that movie, but I'm glad I watched it. Um, because Chazelle is not afraid to take the chances, which I appreciate. And Coogler, he just has this innate ability to kind of weave compelling and emotional stories that just resonate with with viewers. Mm-hmm. You know, like all his movies resonate with me. Um, even Black Panther. I didn't really like Wakanda Forever that much, but it's still I still thought about it a lot after watching it. And he does a great job because they're not just emotionally engaging. They're visually stunning. They do fantastic. Uh, in the first Creed movie, the the one take boxing scene with Leo mm. is remarkable. It's very, very well done. So that I credit that to his his keen eye for detail that just kind of like builds this rich, immersive world that can transport audiences. Because that's what we want to do when we see movies. We want to be transported into a world, right? That's why you see Avatar. You want to live in Pandora. So, yeah, yeah. well, sort of. Maybe yeah, sometimes. I wouldn't, but some people do, yeah. But Kugler is he's 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 out of this world. And I mean, yeah, he does have a smaller resume compared to others. However, he's picking the right films. And so he's doing uh, he's developing one, uh, according to IMDb, called Wrong Answer. And that's another Michael B. Jordan movie. Loves Mm. Michael B. Jordan, works with him a ton. I mean, he's he's in every single movie he's directed. Fruitvale, Creed, Black Panther and Wakanda Forever. Yeah. And he's going to be in Wrong Answer. So. But when it works, it works, right? You, you use those same actors because yeah, it's like, like Scorsese and De Niro. You know, they're like, I like, I like how he works. I'm yep. gonna work with him more. Yep. Or Leo and Scorsese. Um, you know, you just you you pick them and you use them, and it's it's what's so great about it. Uh, so I would love to see what Ryan Coogler's version of this. What secretly what I want to happen? I want Ryan Coogler to take over the James Bond franchise and start oh, directing those. Holy shit! I will I will poop my pants. I'd be so excited. Like that, that would that be, would be interesting. It'd be incredible. And then let's get a black James Bond. Idris Elba would have been my choice, but I think he's getting a little too old now at this point. So uh, Michael B. Jordan. I mean, if Coogler directs it, you know Michael B. Jordan's going to be in it. I don't know if I could see Michael B. Jordan as James Bond. I think I want something different. Ooh, how about Jonathan Majors? I would take Jonathan Majors. He's, He'd be the most jacked James Bond ever. No offense to Daniel Craig, but he he's unreal. He's so goddamn good. But um yeah, I mean, who who's to say if this movie would have been better with with Coogler directing or not, but I, it is definitely an interesting conversation. Yeah. So after six Rocky films, it sounds crazy to think that a spin-off sequel movie involving Apollo Creed's son would work. Uh so like when this came out, I was like 
is this going to work? This is interesting. Uh, the Rocky movies get progressively more goofy and absurd as they continue past Rocky II, like I was talking about. The Creed films, however, seem to be thriving as actual films and not just good versus evil boxing action movies. Why do you think this is? And we kind of discussed this earlier. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that these movies, like you alluded to, could probably stand on their own. You know, they, they do a good job in the beginning of kind of recapping the world and the history. So even if you had never seen Rocky, you could watch Creed and still totally get it and st- be bought into it. Um, and they were made in different time periods. Most of the Rockies were made in the 70s and, and the 80s. Um, and then there was the Balboa movie that came out in 06, mm-hmm. you know, but Stallone directed that. And he's not known for his directing, though it was a, a pretty good movie. Um, and and it's not like there weren't nuanced, complex movies back in the 70s. But I do think that storytelling has evolved since then, especially in the vi- visual medium. You know, there's so many other ways that people are telling a story besides the actual script and and the, the dialogue. Um, I, I think the Creed franchise has a little bit more not to reuse the word swagger, but swagger than the Rocky movies did. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Those were always about the scrappy underdog who never should have been as good as they were. You know, Creed is about this guy who has the pedigree. You know, he's got the history, he's got the name, and he achieves all the accolades that he deserves given that pedigree. Like, you know that he's going to be good. Whereas you look at Rocky and you're like, this this guy's out there punching, you know, meats at the butcher shop. Um, I, I do also think that what they share is that the Creed films and the Rocky films are a little bit cheesy in their depiction of the actual fights. Like what? It was, yes, it's super unrealistic. And it's well, not, a, I think the fight choreography is amazing in both. Oh yeah. No, the choreography is great. Like it's, it's visually entertaining. I just think it's unrealistic in terms of like in each fight, each fighter is taking these huge haymaker hits straight to the head and they just shrug it off. You yeah. know, Michael, isn't that the point? <laughs> no, I, but it's just unrealistic to me. Like if you watch an actual b- a boxing match, you know, nobody yeah. could survive that. You know, it, you can't get a, your kidney ruptured or broken ribs and then you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to fight another round. I'm going to go out there. But it's entertainment, Aaron. Do you like the John Wick movies? Yes. That's not how guns work. That's not how hand-to-hand fighting works. <laughs> I know, but John Wick obviously takes place in this alternative universe where there's a secret society of hitmen, you know? Like, this is a boxing movie. It's, like, realistic. It's supposed to be. But that's not... I won't... That's that's bait. Because in any type of film, you're going to suspend disbelief because you have to make it visually appealing to people. And, and if you were to make it real and authentic... I'm sorry, I don't know how great it would be. Or if you want real and authentic, just watch boxing. That's why like, I don't think this movie's about boxing. It's about a boxer trying to figure out his own, you know, his, his journey into manhood, basically. That's what I feel Creed is about. It's his journey into manhood. And I think it exudes pos- positive masculinity at a central theme. So mm, I would I would disagree with that point. Oh, I, please I, tell me why. Because I think it's it's kind of reinforcing the belief that you got to just shrug it off, rub the dirt off your shoulders, you know, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of situation that is uh, a belief that is, I think, not in favor in most of society today. This idea that, oh, you just got to work harder, you know, which is sort of an old school belief. 
But I don't think that Creed, and this is what sets it apart from the Rocky franchise, because I agree with you that these could be standalone from Rocky. But with Creed, it's not just a pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a how do you deal with your emotions? How do you understand your emotions and discuss them with people? Um, How do you do what you love, do what you love without becoming obsessed and fight the battles for redemption and not for revenge? So it's like, you know, not denying your past, embracing who you are, but understanding why you're angry and moving forward. And so all those things we talked about, accountability and insecurity. And I think that it's the reason it enforces positive masculinity. Mike, and this is a lot of credit to Michael B. Jordan. He's very emotional in all these movies. He cries in all these movies. And it's important because if this were a movie that were made in the 80s, you wouldn't see him shed a single tear. And it's yeah. it, it goes beyond him just boxing. It's it's him wrestling with himself, which is what we struggle with on a daily basis. We all struggle with our own demons and our own things. And we are the only ones that are in a place that can can get ourselves out of it when we start to feel down. But you do have those those support systems. And and Adonis is so because he grew up in group homes, he grew up alone, and he's always had this chip on his shoulder. It's about him learning how to be a man in the first movie, right? He's trying to create his name while also being in denial of his past. And he's just so angry. So he needs to understand why he's so angry. And he finally has that forgiveness for his father at the end because he creates his own name. He's Adonis Creed, right? And in the second one, he wants to live up to that hype and and make sure that everyone around him understands that he's living up to that hype. And he gets a little like imposter syndrome at a certain moment. He's like, am, am, I, am I a false creed? Am, am, I, am I really going to do this? And that mm-hmm. takes a lot for, for us as men to deal with. Like, for, remember us growing up, and I mean, I'll speak for myself. It's just, hey, you got to be a man. Rub some dirt in it, right? I don't think they do that at all in these creed movies. It's, it, it's about exploring things and understanding what's down in the psyche of why we do the things we do. It's not just a, hey, he beat you. You need to come back. And the one thing I'll say about Rocky three, you've seen Rocky three, right? Clubber Lang. Yeah. Okay. So Adrian has this wonderful moment with him on the beach when Rocky is training with Apollo and he just, his head's not in it. And she's like, well, what's the matter? And he, you know, he yells, he's like, for the first time in my life, I'm afraid. That's a big vulnerable moment for somebody who's supposed to be macho steroid man. Like to tell someone that you're afraid, it's tough. You have to trust somebody. And so we see Adonis reaching out to these people that he's never had in his life because this is all new for him, right? He's never had a wife. He's never had a relationship like that or what we know. He's never had a father figure like a Rocky who can give him words of wisdom and help him realign his anger to focus on the things that are important in life. And so I think it's very much a positive masculinity film, a film about positive masculinity, just embracing your emotions and discussing them, just what I laid out there for you okay well fair enough but it's you know your interpretation is definitely um however you want to see it for sure but that's that's what i get from all these movies and maybe in the third one again i'm not going to discuss much about it maybe that'll change some uh, or or help you think along the line of focus i'm talking about where it's about becoming a man or I'm sorry, not becoming a man, embracing yourself and your emotions. Um, because my, what I derived from the third one really, really kind of struck the chord with that. And I was like, okay, cool. That's why these, these three films work. Um, but yeah, I digress. So. 
Cool. Okay, and then finally, one of my favorite things about the Creed movies are the amazing trailers that they have produced. Shit, I used to watch the first Creed tra- uh, first Creed trailer. No shit. I used to watch it all the time to get motivated for the gym. It's unreal. Um, the editing, the pacing, and the needle drops they contain are phenomenal. Creed 2 has an equally motivating trailer that I have watched several times. Heck, same with Creed 3. When they show Jonathan Majors working out, I'm just like, yeah. God damn it, <laughs> as I eat a, a donut. So what are some of your favorite and most memorable movie trailers of all time and why? But before we say that, have you, you've seen all three of the trailers, right? The Creed trailers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually, I out, I had not seen Creed 1 or 2 until I saw the Creed 3 trailer. Mm-hmm. And I forget which movie it was that we were at the cinema and the Creed 3 trailer came on. And both Fee, my partner, and I turned to each other and we were like, we got to watch that. But first, we, <laughs> we got to watch the out. first two. <laughs> yeah, right. I got to look like Jonathan Majors. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and she's she's really liked the, the first two movies. So did I. You know, That's the good. first one a little bit more. But, you know, and she's not a boxing person, not a fighting person. So that they are just so, so good on their own. Um, you know, I feel like Kugler is so plugged into the culture and understands what modern audiences want. Yeah. And he uses music really well in yes, trailers does. to to build it from something that just showcases the movie into something that's going to get you hyped, not just to watch the movie, but just hyped in general. Like you used it for the gym. You know, you just your blood gets going. Um, and I first trailer has Lupe fiasco and the second trailer has DMX and it's just so goddamn good. Yeah. And I love trailers. I like, honestly, one of my favorite things about going to the movies is watching the trailers before them. I don't, I don't understand how people don't like it. Um, and I was thinking real hard about some of my favorite trailers and I had to go rewatch a bunch of them to, to see if I, I remember them being as good as they are. Um, and this, this list is in no particular order, but, one, I would say Amadeus, the movie from like oh, interesting ninety two or whenever that came out, the man who killed Mozart. Yeah, you know it's a drawn out, very slow movie, but the the trailer is like frenetic. It's got so much energy, and it's, it's just so many quick cuts. And it's nothing like the movie, really, but the trailer is great. Um, I would say Mission Impossible Fallout, yeah. but really any of the Mission Impossible movies, their Fallout is good though. That trailer, yeah, has that oh. Imagine Dragons song in it. It's so goddamn good. It's so badass. You know, it makes me want to go buy a Ducati. Um, makes me want to go to the Church of Scientology. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all an advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Cloud Atlas. Because uh, I remember seeing the trailer and not having heard anything about the movie. Mm-hmm. Watched the movie, didn't really like it. I, I Cloud Atlas, like it. yeah, it's it's a it's a weird movie. <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's way long. too long. It's just very abstract. And I was like, oh man, I, I really wish I'd liked that movie. And then like two years later, I I watched the trailer again randomly on YouTube, and I was yeah. like, maybe I should rewatch the movie. That I mean, because it makes it look so good. Mm-hmm. Um, because all the best parts are in the trailer. So that's a great one. Um, Watchmen. That's a good um, one. Yeah, that's yeah, a great trailer. With the Smashing Pumpkins soundtrack mm-hmm. to it. Um, the Force Awakens, because I remember like mm-hmm. feeling that wave of nostalgia roll over me as you like hear the the dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah. yeah, it's like it just brought back so many memories. Well, it starts with Finn that uh, very you know uh, close choke shot, and you're like, oh my god, and he just lifts up, and you're like, why is a stormtrooper on right. screen right now? And then yeah, it's just it's a I lot. have so many questions. Yeah. Um, and then also the social network. Yes. 
I feel like has kind of been a forgotten great movie, you know, like it won so many awards when it came out, but I feel like people don't really talk about it anymore. But I wouldn't say forgotten in the sense of uh, people. So like in the mainstream audience is forgotten, but all the like cinephiles like me, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But that trailer is remarkable. And mm-hmm. it's also on my list. So it's the, you know, the Facebook posts with the choir in the background singing the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones song. And it's like none of that's in the movie, which is you alluded to the Amadeus, the 90s film. 90s trailers just hit different. They they didn't really give away things like they do now. Mm-hmm. And the social network, exact same thing. It's just it's wonderful. And it just follows in on that final thing with with Mark Zuckerberg, um, Jesse Eisenberg's character. And it says you know, you can't make it to a million friends without losing a few or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it, it's got intrigue to it. It's mm-hmm. like, it makes you want to know more. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this one, uh, is Logan. Oh, I hurt myself today. Oh, yeah. That was so good. Chills. Yeah, that is, uh, and, and that meant a lot to me because as a big comic book fan, huge Wolverine fan, and somebody who grew up for 13 plus years watching Hugh Jackman as my, shit, I think it was even longer than that, uh, watching Hugh Jackman as my my Wolverine, to see and know that he's coming to an end or know that it's coming to an end was 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 tough. And so it's the finality of something. And so that trailer just really hit. But you're right, the needle drops are where it's at. So when you can add an excellent song onto a trailer that just fits, mm-hmm. um, that is great. What I don't like, and I know I just said I applauded the social network for having that girls choir singing the Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the the new trend in trailers where, well, first of all, I don't. I love trailers. I don't watch as many anymore because they give away too much of the movie. Yeah, And so for me, one of the best things I did recently was not watch the Barbarian trailer and went into that movie cold and it was unreal. I loved it. Was that the one with Alexander Skarsgård? No, that's the Northman. Uh, it's his brother. It's Bill Skarsgård. So um, it's about like a Airbnb house and that's all I'm going to say. But I, I would definitely just go into it because you, if you have nothing, no base for what's going on, it, it's so much better. And so anyways, um, so I don't really watch trailers that gave away too much. But um, the thing I don't like is when they repurpose a popular song and they slow it down. Mm. Um, aside from that girl's choir one, but it, it just kind of bugs me because I'm like, this doesn't really fit. So I agree with you. <clears throat> excuse me. I agree with you on all those choices. I completely actually forgot um, about the final one. But I had uh, Psycho. If you've ever seen the Psycho trailer, it's like mm. four or five minutes. It's on YouTube and Alfred Hitchcock narrates it and he goes around and he shows you all these locations and he's about to tell you what happened. He goes, but actually, no, no, let's go over here. And it's, it's really well done. Hmm. Uh, Alien, uh, it's zoom in on an egg and you're like, what the hell? And so that movie is just phenomenal. T2, same thing. If you ever get a chance, you should watch the T2 original trailer. It doesn't really do anything other than just zoom in and show you like Arnold's coming back and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, The, the 2000, and one, I think, Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Really? Um, yeah, that one's really well done. Go watch it again. Uh, I watched it like a couple months ago. It's great. I feel uh, social- to see how that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> social Network, like I, like you said, I had it on there. And then Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. That was a great one, too. Yep. Because that was one of those movies that, again, went into it with, I was like, well, I like Mad Max, but I don't know how this is going to be. And I was like, holy shit, when I saw it, right? I saw it with Blake and yeah. Mark, and we saw it in IMAX, and we're just blown away. Yeah. Um, and then finally, The Dark Knight. 
Um, mm. When I I literally watched the Dark Knight trailer over and over and over again, I probably watched that trailer 30 times. Yeah, um, I went and saw I can't remember what movie it was. It might have been like Max Payne to see the Dark Knight trailer. Hmm. And I just was like, I was blown away. It was Hopefully so, you left before Max Payne started. I watched it. It was bad. But yeah, um, yeah the Dark Knight's one of my favorite movies of all time. So that one really slapped, but I'm, I'm a big trailer fan like you. I like to get there early and watch them. Um, I don't like them being uh, given away too much, though. So like with Scream 6, very excited for Scream 6. I've only watched one trailer and I left it at that. Um, I don't want to know anything else about it. I just want to go in blind. Yeah, fair. Okay, well, those are all the questions I have, but uh, this is a segment called Hottest Takes, and I want you to defend uh, your only one most controversial take on this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors, on styles, on directors, on whatever. You can pick anything, so give me your hottest take. Okay, we already talked about it a little bit, and I will die on this hill, but I think Creed, the Creed franchise is better when you think of it as like a human interest story rather than as a strictly like boxing combat movie. Uh, I can think of several movies that have more, uh, I'll just say realistic mm-hmm. combat, you know, like warrior with uh, Joel Edgerton. Warrior is great. I love it. Yeah. Movie. It's a great movie and it's, it's somewhat realistic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and these, you know, I, I understand you, you can't make it strictly realistic and how a fight would actually go. Cause then people would be bored to tears with, you know, sure. how a boxing match actually goes. And instead of a, you know, 30 minute fight, you've got to distill it into like a five minute scene. So I get that. Um, but I just, it takes me out of it a little bit when you see these scenes and you're like any human would instantly be un- unconscious from that hit that he just took, but he just shrugs it off. Um, and he, he like he did, neither of them played any defense until later in the fight when Adonis starts slipping those punches and he like slips and, and dodges. But before then, he just was like standing there getting just taking it. Uh, I don't know if that was an intentional to show him like being willing to take the abuse or what, but it's like he didn't there was no head movement. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit pedantic, but. I think you're being a little too overcritical on it because that's fair with with any sports movie in general. I mean, I would challenge you to find a sports movie that is that is truly, truly realistic and even Warrior, how much I love it. You know, I did it on this podcast. I love that movie. There's still they take some liberties where you're like, okay, this is meant to to be tension and you're supposed to be like gripping on the edge of your seat because sporting events can be like that, but they are few and far between. Sometimes you'll get a nail biter game where you're like, holy shit, like that was like a movie. And there's a reason we have that term like that was like a movie. It's because it's meant to entertain us that way. If we were to see a blowout where it's like a a 30, a 31 to 20 victory or something like that by decision after 12 rounds. I don't know if that's a boxing term, but you know what I mean? Like that wouldn't be as fun. This we need this where we get the three act structure within the boxing where it's like Adonis comes on the offense and then but then he gets destroyed by Victor and then he wounds Victor and you're like, holy shit, he has, actually has a chance. And then they slug it out and then he gets knocked down and you're like, oh, God, is this the end? And then he has that motivating moment where he comes up, he finds his way, he fights back and he wins. Like, we want that. We want that moment to cheer. That's why we watch sports movies. Um, I agree with you, though, that this is more of a human interest film than mm-hmm. a boxing film. Yeah. Um, it, it's a bummer it distracted you uh, because I, I can't even think of the most... Uh, realistic boxing fight scenes. I mean, the fighter was really good. Uh, Raging bull was good, but even those Cinderella man, Cinderella man, but even that, like you think he's going to die. You're like, Oh, he's about to get punched and he's going to die. So they, they take their liberties for sure. But 
I guess it's, you know, it's, if it takes you out of it, that's a bummer, but I agree with you that the human interest side, these are definitely more about that. And that's probably boxing's like a secondary thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, good call. Uh, my hot take is that montages are incredible. I absolutely <laughs> love montages. I am such a sucker for them. They're cliches. Sure. We all know how it's going to work, but it doesn't matter. They're fun and they're highly effective. If you can find a reason for a montage in your film to uh, exemplify or to explain the passage of time, and typically they're for training, but to uh, show the passage of time in a short amount of film time, that's what a montage is for. So they're highly effective when they're done right. Christopher Nolan does a fantastic job with his montages because they're um, unorthodox montage, montages, non-traditional. Uh, I look at things like Inception, where he does a lot of cross-cutting between various uh, shots, you know? So in Inception, when we have the three levels down of the van falling, <clears throat> excuse me, and then also Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in the hotel room, trying to get them all together, and then the tension of the the snow world. You have all these different elements, and it's it's literally showing you hours worth of stuff condensed into like fifteen minutes, and it's freaking amazing. But I, yeah. I have a, a, a slight clapback about that because I seem to recall on the episode where I came on this very podcast and we talked about the greatest Christmas movie of all time, White Christmas, you had said that that uh, in, in the early film, when they show the passage of time with the montage of various newspapers, uh, you know, bring the audience up to speed on how the two main characters' lives have progressed since we last saw them, you, you said you felt it was a little bit cheesy. I felt that, I, I think I was more specifically discussing how the newspapers, like, I don't like when newspapers get thrown down because there's no... There's no acting. It's just us reading like, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And there's no arguing it's effective. It it, it did its, its, it served its purpose. I didn't like that though. I was like, well, this is a stupid transition because it's just showing us the passages of time through that. I'm talking about like, okay, let's take Creed 2, right? So amazing montage. Like, did you like the montage at the end when they're both training? Yes. Although I think it was a cheesy, the setting out in like the Sonoran desert where they're flipping tires and stuff. That was a little bit cheesy. Oh man, you're crazy. <laughs> no, especially with the juxtaposition. I mean, they did the same thing in Rocky when it was mm-hmm. uh, drag over and it's like the Russian in with all the equipment and the scientific, you know, uh, the, and steroids. No, yeah. And it's like it juxtaposed against the guy who's doing it the quote unquote old school way, yeah. you know, instead of jogging in the snow and lifting logs, he's out in the desert, you know, slamming, slamming a jack or a sledgehammer into the dirt, like literally pounding sand, which is a very hard workout, by the way. I don't know <laughs> yeah. But it's like sledgehammer, but yeah, it's like <laughs> you're just hitting the ground with you're, you're literally pounding sand. But the mise-en-scene in general for that is is meant to be this back-to-basics, really trying to strip down and find yourself. I mean, looking at the, the color temperature of that scene, it's all orange, which signifies, well, it can mean various things, but signifies uh, openness and new beginnings and, and fire, passion, determination, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. While the parallel editing of the, it's very David versus Goliath, uh, where the parallel editing of Victor is mostly all blue. And mm-hmm. when we see blue, like, what do you think of when you see the color blue? Cold. Exactly. Where he's in, he's in uh, Russia and it's, it's cold. And, and he and his father's purpose for fighting is, is, is based off of these cold beginnings and, 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 and endings. And so he, even in the training is like, he's training, but he's not really in it, you know, yeah. um, where, 
Creed is realizing that he needs to get to a level that he hasn't been to before. And that's why I love the mise-en-scene with it because of the set design and the blocking and everything around it. It just works so goddamn well. Then you add on, uh, I don't think it was Nipsey Hussle. It was like someone, Nipsey's in the third. They have an amazing moment. But um, I can't remember what song it is, but they blend in that that gun of, or Flying High Now song that's famous in every Rocky movie. And it just really works. And so then you get the quick cuts of the training where he's he's getting better. He's getting in there and he's fighting off that huge Mexican dude. And um, he just like beats the shit out of him and, and he's he's sprinting on the on the highway and I'm just like, let's go work out right now. I it was very motivating. Pumped. For sure. I am fucking yeah. pumped. And it builds the stakes. The parallel editing is is wonderful because you have your your quote unquote antagonist and your, your protagonist um, battling or you know dealing with their own things to meet head on. And so it just it's that buildup. And the reason I say quote unquote for the antagonist is I don't think that that Drago is actually a true antagonist. I think that Victor or Ivan, I or, well, both of them. I, I I think Victor is fighting because he wants to make his dad proud, and and I think that's the beautiful thing about Creed Two is they humanize the villain. It's not he's not a true villain. You you get their perspective where they're starting from scratch from the bottom at kind of like underdogs and you did so, take that's that that cheap shot at him i mean that's kind yeah, of a villain move that, so that was that was stupid but i mean you, you hear about it he's raw he's angry he doesn't he's he, he's not controlled and yes that was a cheap shot but you still feel harmony in in what they're trying to do and and especially that's why it hits so well at the end but some of my favorite montages like tr- i love training ones but i mean the godfather has one of the greatest montages of all time the baptism murders at the end where you know mm. all those five people just get murdered and you're like holy shit all this time while michael's son is getting baptized it's just crazy yeah yeah uh mulan uh when she hmm. when she's training you know the past the let's I'll make a get man. down exactly. to business um, Edge of Tomorrow, when he's figuring out how to, uh, it's like a video game. He goes to a certain level and he's like, okay, this is going to follow me. I die. So let's start back from square one. I love that montage of him just mm-hmm. getting better and better and better. Um, Team America World Police, because they literally make fun of it. They're like, we need a montage. Oh, yeah, that's montage. right. And um, it's just ridiculous. So like that's in its sense is so satirical and, and hilarious. Yeah. Um, Warrior, like you were talking about, um, you know, the you're doing it, Tommy and <laughs> him getting better and Joel Edgerton getting better. I love Warrior um, up up has an amazing montage at the start. Uh, it's probably oh, one God. of the most effective ways to show passage passage of time, which is what I was talking about with White Christmas is if you can do something similar to up, not make it sad or anything, you can show the passage of time through actions and through the direction, not just necessarily throwing down newspapers Yeah, and and up. I mean, shit, it's enough to make a grown man cry. Yeah. I'm thinking about crying right now. So, um, yes, I think montages specifically training montages are incredible. They're cliched, but I, I love them and they're highly effective. All right. So, okay. Well, Creed two, Aaron, what is your letter grade for Creed? Uh, I think I would give this movie a B or maybe a B plus. Um, okay. 
definitely wasn't as good as Creed 1, and I'm sure it's not as good as Creed 3, which I have not seen yet. Um, but, you know, it didn't hit any, like, slumps throughout the movie. It kept mm-hmm. me entertained the whole time. I didn't get bored. Um, it was pretty predictable. I pretty much knew what was going to happen. Um, and I did get frustrated watching Adonis, Adonis constantly, like, struggle against the people who were trying to help him, you know, to make the quote-unquote right decision Yeah, in, it's so that he could prove himself. Like, that was a little frustrating, but I... That's not a knock against the movie per se, just a knock against my experience of watching it. So I would say B or B plus. Cool. Okay. Yeah, this is an A. This is an A for me. Um, Really? I oh yeah. Uh, I think that so Creed, like I said, is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, I should I could watch it right now, but yeah, that that movie's an A plus. This movie's an A. It's a tick down, but uh, that's still obviously a very good uh, letter grade. I think this movie's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Um, I love it more that I'm able to look at it through a different lens and have discussions like this because to me, it's it's very apparent what this movie is about and and the different uh, elements that it's 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 struggling with. Um, but yeah, I I loved it, man. Hmm, I think it's wow. it's amazing. So you give it a ninety five percent, huh? Yeah. Why wow. not? Yeah. Okay. All right. I All mean, right. this this is a Zach Rancourt movie. They they know what I like. That's why I love the John Wick movies because the John Wick movies are like I'm a I'm a hog and shit when I watch those movies. I am <laughs> so excited, and they they just know what to do. But you go into it knowing this is going to be ridiculous. Like he's going to kill people this in, is an insane way, and I'm going to love every minute of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are good. They really are. And it's, it's just, it's, it's stupid how good they are. Like they shouldn't be that good. <laughs> right. When the first one, like when the, the trailer came out, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you know, it kind of looks slick, but I mean, it looks kind of like, I thought maybe Keanu's career was going to go the way of like Nick Cage's where he just, yeah. he comes kind of campy and it, it just wasn't, it was kind of like, you know, it kind of gave me vibes of the matrix and that it was like, it was, um, it could have been really corny and because you know, Keanu is kind of wooden, not, mm-hmm. you know, known for his range, but that's exactly what you need. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a very generic action film, so I did not want to go see it in theaters, but then I heard my friends talking about it and I was like, I got to watch this. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm glad I was wrong. Yep. So yep. absolutely love John Wick movies. But anyways, this is Creed two. So cool. Aaron, where can we find you on social media? Uh, well, uh, if you need to, you can find me on, uh, Instagram underscore or at, at B E A N A A R, uh, underscore. That's my, uh, my Instagram handle. Other than that, uh, that's all you really need. Um, or, uh, Twitter, if you search basically the same thing, what's your and, Pornhub handle, <laughs> uh, big daddy 69, big daddy. It was little daddy just a well, year ago. I don't, I don't have pictures of myself on there, so nobody knows. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Cool. Well, Aaron, always great to have you on the show. One day we will do the fountain. I promise. Darren Aronofsky's great. Um, do you promise? Do you honestly promise? Because it's going to bother me if we don't. Because I think you'd like it, or at least I think we'd have an interesting discussion about it. Uh, yeah, we could have an interesting discussion about it for sure. Um, I this is a, a Women's History Month, so I am going to be doing a couple more uh, women's history movies. But it isn't streaming anywhere right now, so that is the the bummer. Um, but once it's streaming, then yes, I promise we'll do it. I'll, uh, I'll mail you my Blu-ray. No, I don't want to do that. Well, uh, well, I, I like to do it streaming so so the viewers can, or the listeners can also watch it. But we'll, okay, fair it, enough. It, it'll stream soon enough, I guarantee. 
Um, okay, cool. Well, thank you very much uh, for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts. You can give us film suggestions. You can tell us if we're crazy, or you can send us funny pictures of dogs driving cars or something like that. I don't know. Use ChatGPT to help you send a funny meme or whatever. <laughs> Uh, Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, all those famous ones. Uh, Leave us a five-star review if you like us. It really, really helps. Additionally, uh, like I said, we're also available on every major podcast app, so whatever your favorite is, just choose it. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.